Our second scripture reading this morning is the passage from Luke that Alex just talked about. It comes from Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 39. Let us listen for and hear God's holy word. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. For surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. According to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May your good news come, O Lord, not only in the words spoken, but in and through the power of your Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Amen. In the interest of full disclosure, I feel like I need to confess that this passage from Luke is one that I know all too well. It's the passage that I wrote and preached my first ever sermon from. Luke 1, 39 through 55, was assigned to me by Dr. Cleophis LaRue in PR 201, Introduction to Preaching, my, first, my very first semester in seminary. I spent weeks reading through this passage over and over and over again, looking at the original Greek, thinking about every word, every syllable, and possible alternate meanings or translations. I read dozens of articles and commentaries and books on this passage. I started writing and rewriting this sermon so many times I lost count. The passage became a part of me, and it still holds a special place in my heart. But there's a downside to having done all this work. You see, I fear this passage has become so familiar that it's hard to see it or to hear it or to read it with new ears and new eyes. It seems impossible to hear it again for the first time, which is also true for all of us and the story of Christmas in general. The problem is that we've heard it too many times. The words are too familiar. We know them too well. We know all the characters. We've heard about the angel's announcement to Mary and the journey to Bethlehem and the stable and the manger and the shepherds and the star so many times. 
that we easily become numb to the whole thing. It becomes routine and predictable and expected. And we become complacent or calloused and even bored. There's probably no way in this day and age that we could recapture the initial shock of what actually happened. That God has come in real life, in human flesh, to share with us in our hopes and our joys and our frustrations and our fears. To live as we live. We don't grasp the enormity of the God of the universe, the maker of the sun and the stars and the planets, the creator of life itself, becoming one of us. Sometimes we try to fix this problem by putting a whole new spin on an old story. In fact, this week, at the invitation of the Penoyers, Diana and I went to, to see a play that's trying to do just that. In fact, I know several of you went to see it as well. And shameless plug, our very own director of communication, Katie Norell, has an amazing installation of photographs showing in the theater as well. Anyway, the unusual tale of Mary and Joseph's baby it's a play that's showing at the River and Rail Theater just down State Street, just down from the church here. It's a modern-day retelling of this ancient story we just heard. Mary and Joseph, cast as a couple struggling through homelessness, bring the Savior of the world to life under a freeway overpass. It was a great show that actually reminded me of a film I watched in a New Testament class several years ago. Jean-Luc Godard tried to tell a similar story in his film called Hail Mary. As the professor of that class put it, the movie poses the question, what would it be like if the birth of Christ were to happen today? The film opens with, at a family-owned gas station where a teen, their teenage daughter is helping out around their small business. She's a, high school, uh, she's a high school senior named Mary. She's tall, young-looking, independent, and she plays on the girls' basketball team. Late one night at the gas station, her taxi driver boyfriend pulls up to the pump. In the back seat of his cab is a strange couple who's just arrived from the airport. There's a guy who's seedy and stern-looking, and a girl who's a cherub-faced teen carrying a gigantic book on her lap. This is the place, she whispers, and the two of them climb out of the back of the cab. In the neon-lit darkness, this Mary, the gas station attendant, receives her improbable annunciation across the hood of the taxi while being constantly interrupted by customers asking to have their tanks filled and their oil checked. I remember watching the movie in the class and thinking how odd that scene was, but then I guess that was the point. It was an odd scene in the Gospel of Luke, too, and it's still an odd scene today. The point is that Mary could have been any one of the teenage girls we know. She was somebody's friend, somebody's teammate, somebody's daughter. And she was God's favored one. Over the last 2,000 years, the Christian church has two very different ways of thinking about Mary. 
The Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox traditions, I think, have done Mary a huge disservice by turning her into a non-biblical, superhuman saint. In those traditions, she's thought to be sinless, to have been conceived immaculately, to have remained a virgin for her entire life, and to not actually have ever died, but rather to be assumed bodily into heaven. There are complete liturgical, there's a complete liturgical tradition and culture devoted to Mary that we Reformed Protestants know nothing about. In fact, it was the Reformers, guys like Martin Luther and John Calvin, who made it their goal to eliminate every trace of Mary from word and sacrament. And it makes more sense to us today if we understand their objections and their concerns. They were frustrated by what is called the intercession of the saints. In the mid-1500s, at the time of the Reformation, when people prayed, it was usually not to God directly. They prayed instead through a saint, who the prayer hoped was praying to God on their behalf. And Mary, the Queen of Heaven, was by far the favorite go-between. So the reformers who were known not to mince words told anyone who would listen that they thought this was complete stupidity. John Calvin called it a horrid sacrilege to pray through any intermediary who wasn't Christ. So because of the Reformation, sanctuaries were stripped of all decoration. The liturgy was rewritten and the prayers were changed, simplified into what we would recognize and sometimes still use today. And in the process, Mary lost not only her veneration, but I think also her voice. But through the process, I fear we Protestants did Mary perhaps an even greater disservice, not by exalting her as superhuman, but by almost completely ignoring her altogether. In trying to to demystify Mary, we may have turned her into nothing more than a delivery person, making her nothing more than a prop, a way to explain how God got to earth in human form. While trying to avoid the overzealousness of some traditions, we've overdone it ourselves and turned Mary into something too common altogether. And I'm scared we've dismissed her true importance. History doesn't tell us much about her story, really, except that she's a young woman, probably about 13 years old, from Galilee, who one day, out of the blue, finds herself chosen by God. This unexpected pregnancy then makes her seemingly very proper engagement to Joseph suddenly shrouded in scandal. And yet her quiet certainty And a visit from an angel convinces Joseph, her betrothed, not to break off the engagement, but to stand by her side and to raise this child he did not conceive. And I hope we can stop and hear the story again. So we notice that her almost instant acceptance of God's plan for her life is so complete that she not only agrees to it, but she then bursts into song. Part of our problem stems from the fact that the gospel writers, except for one, give almost no information about Mary. 
We learn nothing from Mark and John because they wrote nothing about the birth of Jesus at all. And Matthew, for his part, keeps Mary silent. She's there, but she doesn't say a word. Only Luke gives Mary a voice. And so Mary gives Luke a song. My soul magnifies the Lord, she sings. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary sings, but it's not a sweet lullaby like we might expect. It's anything but. If we pay close attention, we hear that these are not gentle, soothing words, but instead very pointed and radical proclamations. Like the child in her womb, these are words meant to turn the world upside down. God is about to work a shocking reversal in creation, Mary says. And she herself is living proof. Contrary to what everyone for thousands of years has expected, God's entrance into the world isn't through the power systems of the elite. God's chosen one doesn't appear in strength and majesty with a sword in his fist, but instead comes in weakness and humility, the illegitimate son of a teenage peasant girl from Galilee. One commentator I read this week says, in terms of political structures of the world, Mary is a nobody, the lowliest of the low. But the song she sings is about a God who blesses lowly nobodies and ne'er-do-wells while turning the tables on blue bloods and power brokers. In this new vision of the world, kings wait tables, tables while servants feast. Teenage girls function as God's instruments on earth while the religious professionals fuss and fume. Mary sings while Herod schemes. Even though it's a song of startling news, it's a song of good news. It's good news for the proud and the powerful who will be relieved of their swelled heads. It's good news for the hungry who will be filled with good things. It's good news for the rich, too, who will be sent away empty so that they have room in them for more than their money can buy. I imagine Jesus grew up listening to his mother sing. I imagine that before he was ever born, the words of this song were part of him. They formed him and guided his life. Because if we think about it, when he's baptized and when he begins his ministry, Jesus is all about acting out his mother's song. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. This is more than just a song. It becomes a blueprint for Jesus' ministry and a fulfillment of God's hope for our world. God's up to something in Bethlehem, and the prophet Mary wants to make certain that we don't miss it. In the harbor of Gloucester, Massachusetts, there's a Roman Catholic church called Our Lady of the Seas. At the top of their steeple is a statue of Mary looking out upon the sea with a fishing boat cradled in her hands. And in that fishing village, that image is one of tremendous power. 
In Gloucester's 300-year history, more than 30,000 fishermen, many of them Portuguese and Italian immigrants, have lost their lives at sea. Even today, fishing remains one of the most dangerous occupations and one of the poorest. When the storms come and the radios give out, there's nothing to do but pray. For generations, parents and spouses and children have all gone to church to pray for their loved one's safe return. But Mary, Our Lady of the Seas, they say, she doesn't offer miracles. She only cradles that boat in her hands as if to place it gently on the water. Just as she once cradled her newborn child and gently offered him to a broken world. The Mary we read about in Scripture is the same Mary who stands watch over Gloucester Harbor. And the announcement made to a teenage girl in Galilee all those years ago is the same announcement that the world today desperately needs to hear. It's meant to announce to the fishermen of Gloucester that God in Christ has defeated the power of this world. It's meant to announce to refugees fleeing oppression and tyranny and abuse that God in Christ has brought down the mighty from their thrones. It's meant to announce to every person affected by hate, whether through speech or guns or bombs, that God in Christ has lifted up the lowly. Our Lady of the Seas, Our Lady of the Desperate, Our Lady of the Lost, it's the same Mary, the same teenage girl who heard the angel and accepted the news and placed her future in God's hands. We don't need to keep her pure. The story tells us that she left pure behind. She left safe behind. She left proper and comfortable and secure behind and traded them in for a vision of God who came to touch every single human life, no matter how poor or dirty or lost. The Mary we read about in Scripture is not on some pedestal, but on a steeple cradling the fleet as it leaves the harbor, cradling the world as it heads into a new day. Mary was no one special, just an ordinary teenage girl. She could have been our daughter or sister or friend. She was just an ordinary person who took a chance on God's plan and played her part in changing the course of human history and eternity. God believed in Mary and called her, and she believed and said yes. God believes in us and calls us too. So then, May it be with us according to God's word this day and every day. Amen.